0: We're good to go. All right. Last year, when Lisa and I were thinking through our, what we call at least our our philosophy of discipleship, we began to realize uh, a way that we wanted to share with you. Our goal is that each of you would become fully committed followers of Jesus Christ, that you would reach a level of maturity in Christ that you're more and more conformed to his image. And as we were thinking through how do we help our people become more and more committed followers of Jesus, we, we saw a concept called the three-bucket concept. And we realized that this is the way that the Holy Spirit works in the life of a disciple, of a follower, is that he wants to fill all the buckets that represent the very important parts of your soul. For example, the the first bucket is, is basically your personal vitality, whether it's your spiritual fullness or your, your health or your well-being or whatever it might be, but it's your, your personal vitality. And if this bucket isn't filled, then all the other buckets are going to be affected by that. Because the second bucket is your connections to other people. Whether they're going to be healthy connections or unhealthy ones will depend on how full and satisfied, and overflowing even, you are in the vitality bucket. And then the, the last of the buckets is making connections with other people, coming out of your own personal vitality. You are here for a purpose. You are here to, con- to contribute to uh, the kingdom of God here on earth. That you have a destiny, you have a uh, a plan that God has for you in order to fulfill the purposes of your life, and so what we what we said is I mean obviously information is important, knowledge is important, but if there isn't fullness, then there isn't really there isn't this sense of fulfillment, there isn't this sense of satisfaction, and so We realized that what we wanted to do in this first month of the year is one, I want to say that I think God is speaking over you. And He's saying to you 2018 is to be a year of fullness. Now you you can say, okay, well Pastor, you're saying that, or you can say, I want to I want to believe God for that. I want to believe that God wants to personally fill me. He would not have put in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit if he didn't want you full. In Jesus' in Jesus's greatest sermon, he said over and over again, when he said, blessed are, he's really saying, happy, full are, those who, and he's poor in spirit, pure in heart, and so on and so forth. There is a desire, there's a default setting in God that he wants you full. When David wrote of his experiences with God, he says, my cup overflows. Then he also says at the end of Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. So in some ways, and you may say, wow, I wish I hadn't come this morning because I'm going to say to you, if you're not full, it's your fault. Because you got a bucket and he's got fullness. So what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about the integrity of your bucket. Because if the bucket doesn't have integrity, then it can't contain all the fullness that God has for you. <laughs> I mean, every, There are times when I think about the integrity of certain things, like when I was flying to Nashville, I was thinking, I hope this wasn't the cheapest bid on this plane. You want the screws to have integrity. You want the wings to have integrity. You want the engine to have integrity. There are certain things in life that you cannot get by on if it does not have integrity. And when it is your soul, it has, there has to be an integrity to the bucket. Because God has more than you can contain. We're going to read together. Are you tracking with me a little bit? Okay, three of you. I guess I'll keep going. <laughs> Uh, We're going to read this passage from the Apostle Paul where he talks about integrity, a life of integrity. And I've asked Andy if he'd help. I only have so much voice. As you can tell, I have a bit of a cold. I'm not used to this cold weather, I guess. But uh, I'd like you to read with him. It's right there in your bulletin. It's a passage on living
1: a life of integrity. All right, if you read together with me from Ephesians 4. when each part is properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as a truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption.
0: What we're going after today is the integrity of your soul in a sense, your soul is a container. If that container does not have integrity, it cannot contain all that God has for you. Now, this is a simple, it's a simple thing in this regard. Wherever you're undeveloped or wherever you're immature or whether, where you have uh, relied on something that's corrupt or something that's not true or false, that is as high as the vitality of the Spirit can go in your life. Because what happens is it goes to that place of brokenness or that crack and it seeps out. Let me give you two examples from everyday life. Lisa likes to do crock pot, crock pot cooking. So she made me an amazing uh, crock pot of red beans and rice. I'm a Cajun and I like red beans and rice with sausage. And we opened up the thing and there was a crack in the bottom of the crock pot and all those savory juices just seeped right out. Wasted on the no I no I ate, no no I didn't do that. <laughs> now the other the other illustration of this and the thing that I always think of is I, I don't know about you but even though I have heart problems I still every now and then I just have to go to McDonald's. I mean I have to have French fries. There's just something and when I have French fries McDonald's has the best Coca-Cola in the land and I have to have the Coca-Cola with the French fries. But then I feel guilty and I don't drink the whole coke. Coca- So I leave it in the cup holder, okay? I leave it in the cup holder, especially in the heat, which we're dreaming of. But in the heat, you leave it in the cup holder, and you leave it for a day, you don't throw it away. The entire Coke is now in the cup holder, and none of it's in the cup, because the integrity of the cup cannot withstand the weather so that then all of the liquid flows out. You see, if you don't have integrity in your soul, every good thing that comes in just seeps out. And it seeps out at the places where you are undeveloped. It seeps out in the places where your immaturity is. It seeps out in the places where your woundedness is. And so the the God who loves you wants to restore the bucket He wants to restore the integrity of the bucket. So as we look at this, we're going to look at what Jesus teaches about it, and then we're going to show how Paul applies it in the passage that we just read. But let me show you a little bit about what Jesus has to say about this first. When Jesus talks about integrity, he doesn't go directly at integrity and say, have integrity. What he does is he says, don't be a hypocrite. So he goes after integrity by showing the opposite, which is hypocrisy. And most of us will say, yeah, we know some hypocrites, but we're not one. Until you realize how Jesus defines hypocrisy. The word hypocrite in Greek meant actor, someone who played a role. And the way that they played the role is they put on a mask. So you never knew the heart of the actor you only know the role that they were playing. So if they were sad, they put on a sad mask. If they were joyful, they put on a joyful mask. And the most successful actor was one who was disconnected from his emotions or his true heart and portrayed a role which had nothing to do with his true self. And what Jesus is saying is that when you live your life as an actor, when you live your life behind a mask, It's disastrous. Now let me just, I'll give you one reason for that. If people love your mask, they don't love you. If people love your presentation of yourself, you know it's not you, so you can't even receive their love. You see, the only way to be filled is to not be a hypocrite, is to put the mask off, to begin to say, here's my true heart. Here's my true, here's my true uh, life and identity. It's important that you understand what the Bible means by heart. Heart is not just your emotions. In the Bible, the heart is the control center of your being. It's the place that you control. It's the place where you make the decision what has weight, what matters to you. It's the place where you trust and it's the place where you make your deepest commitments. So it is emotional, but it also is your will and your thoughts and your beliefs as well. And so what God is going after is not the mask that you wear, but the heart that you live in. And here's why this is the safest thing on earth. He knew, he knew your heart when he went to the cross. He knows your heart. When he met you in your life, I love this saying, he knows you all the way to the bottom, but he loves you all the way to the top. This is why, you see, this is why you can begin to have true integrity. Why why do I go to Jesus before I go to Paul? Because no one else but Jesus has lived a life of integrity. Jesus lived in the truth. He not only lived in the truth, he is the truth. I mean, you can't, you either are a crazy man, a liar, or you are what you say you are when you say, I am the truth. That's integrity. That is either utter integrity or utter craziness. <laughs> and I believe because he rose from the dead, it proves that he's utterly a person of integrity. Yes, so I'm asking the question, and no, it's not an easy question, but do you really, do you want a bucket that can be filled? Yes. Yes, sir. Then you have to quit play-acting. You have to quit presenting. You have to take off the mask. And you have to feel safe enough with the God who loves you to take that mask off. So why is this so important? Well, because all of us have a default setting about our our heart. And what we do is we, we learn from an early age that we can divert attention from ourselves and we can manage our own image. And a lot of what goes on in our life is image management. And here's some ways that we do this. One of the ways is that we develop a critical or a judgmental spirit so that we hide ourselves by focusing on how bad everybody else is. Now, I have seen this in so many different ways here, even in this lovely church that we have Uh, with people in some really interesting ways that they divert attention. But one of my favorite ones that made me laugh was a guy that I I was doing counseling with him and his wife for about three years. He was constantly late, 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. And I I just really said to him, look, I want to help you, but you are disrespecting my time and, and I'm waiting here for you. And I said, if this is going to continue, then you're going to have to start showing up on time. He said, I promise, I'll do it. I'll I'll never be late again. So the very next time, he's late, 45 minutes. And he comes in, and he starts yelling. Well, you wouldn't want me to have to pay New York prices for gas, would you? And I was out of gas, and I had to go to New Jersey, or I would have had to pay these exorbitant prices. It's just immoral what they charge for gas here in New York. I'm sitting there going, that is really funny. So instead of saying, I'm late again, now it's our fault he's late. And it's New York's fault he's late. And it's New Jersey's fault. He's, it's everybody's fault but his. And it's so funny because he thinks he's getting away with it. And I said, we can't meet anymore. Because you told me you would be here on time. You're not here on time. You don't respect this time. So we're, we're done. Well, he left the church. Because I put a boundary and said, because he, what he wanted to do was divert from his own failure to be a man of integrity by making it about something else. Now many of us, you see, what we don't realize is that we have fallen into that. We do it as a default. Not only do we criticize and judge others to hide ourselves, but we don't want anybody to talk about our faults. Don't tell me that I did something wrong. Or don't tell me there's something wrong with me. You're being insensitive to me. Though we will criticize at the drop of hat. Now, again, this, this can get very personal. But it happens particularly with people who are close to each other. Uh, one of my stupidest things that I ever did as a husband is never know how to answer my wife when she would come and say certain things to me. And uh, one of her things early in our marriage is she came and she says, Honey, and she's crying. She said, "I'm I'm just a terrible wife. I'm just not a good wife. And I looked at her and said, Honey, no, you're not a terrible wife, but you could change this, 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 and this. She went from tears to something else. I thought she was looking for help. I thought I could help her out. I had the list ready. I learned I learn never to do that again. You understand? In many ways, we're like, oh, I want, you, I want you to comfort me, but please don't tell me what's really wrong with me. Or tell me how I'm failing. I'll say how horrible I am, but don't tell me any specifics of how horrible I am. Well, part of that comes from this, this issue. And again, I, I want you to open up and hear me in this we are very uncomfortable with the reality of what our heart is really like. We're very afraid of lifting up the hood and finding out we're even worse than we think we are. So many of us never get a place of integrity because we're not very honest about what our issues are. We are worse than we think. And so what happens is we live in somewhat of a fantasy about ourselves but we are in relationship with the spirit of truth. So the spirit of truth will not let you exist one minute in fantasy. Because it's not good for you. And besides that, he already knows how bad you are. In some ways, you can never get to a place of integrity till you can accept this reality that you are so sinful that, he had, that Jesus had to die for you. But you are also so loved that he chose to die for you. It's a double edge. You are that sinful. That's what the cross says. The cross says you're sinful enough that the Son of God had to die for your sins. But the cross also says that you are so loved that you don't have to be afraid. To open up whatever is in your heart. Because he will never bring it out to do anything else but then to heal you. But he'll also do this. He will put people in your life who will reveal your hiddenness. It's a biblical principle that God puts mirrors and their people in our lives. When Jacob, who was a deceiver, met his uncle Laban, who was the professional deceiver... Jacob could see himself, and he could become another man, a different man. I don't know how many times in your life God has put someone there, a boss, a friend, uh, uh, a family member, whatever it might be, as a mirror so that you can't hide what is keeping your heart from having integrity. When I was... uh, just coming into the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is the denomination we're a part of, I came in with a, a man who had become my friend. He, was, he became the senior pastor. I was the associate pastor. But this guy was, uh, he was a major salesman. And he originally said we would be co-pastors, and then once we got in, I, I was the associate. He was the senior, which was the beginning of the lies that he told to me for a year and a half. And he would make huge promises. And it would always be promises that were exactly right for the moment, but were things he could never fulfill. And he would know the moment. He would know what to say. He had a sense of the grandness of the moment. But then all of us who were a part of that ministry were constantly hurt and disappointed. And really, really, after a while, I was so angry. And I was was really like, God, why'd you put this guy in my life? He's so prideful. He's such a salesman. He makes promises, and he doesn't deliver. And the Lord said, that's you. And what he did is he put that man in my life so that I could become a different man, so I could see what was really under the hood of my heart and see how, though I was probably more sophisticated than him and I was probably quicker than him in many ways, I would use just the same methods, and I got to feel what it felt like. To be somebody who made promises that were never delivered. To have someone say, you can do this and then take it away from you. And it really changed me. At first all it did was make me mad at him. But once the Lord began to speak to me, I began to realize he put this man in my life to show me what a salesman I am. And that if I was really going to be a man of God, if I was really going to be a prophet, if I was really going to be a follower of Christ, I could not be a salesman. I had to be somebody whose word, his yes was yes and his no was no, even if it cost me everything. Does this make sense to you? See, if if this bucket is a bucket of a mask of hypocrisy, if this is a bucket where you're always diverting attention or whatever, then it never gets filled. And your own personal vitality then means you don't have healthy connections and you're not able and don't have capacity to make contributions to the kingdom of God. So Jesus isn't the only one who talks about this. Paul begins to talk about it in terms of integrity and uses the word faithfulness. Now, faithfulness in this context is especially important because when Jesus was teaching, he never taught that the Christian life or the disciples' life would ever be individualistic, that it would always be lived in community. It, see, I see people sometimes, they say, you know, I have lots of integrity as long as I'm not around people. You know, as long as I'm not, you know, I'm not in a relationship or I'm not doing business, well, I have tremendous integrity. Well, what difference does it make if you have integrity all by yourself? It's really the integrity when you're with people and circumstances outside of your control. And then the other thing that Jesus taught is that it was never moralistic. You see, if if you come here today and you're hearing me beat up on you and you think I'm, I'm saying this is what you have to be in order to be approved by God or be pleasing to God, then you have a moralistic lens through which you see everything. See, Jesus never said, this is what you have to be so that God will be pleased with you. What Jesus was saying is, you don't have integrity. (laughs) You don't have a leg to stand on. But I am offering you grace. I am offering you mercy. I I am knowing that you don't have integrity, and I am giving you and uniting my integrity with you. And you begin to realize... You cannot moralistically, religiously even, you can't become a person of integrity by willpower. It has to be that you receive the integrity of Christ and that what is true of him becomes true of you because you're in communion and union with him. It's all of faith. And, and, and part of it is that beginning that says, I really am that bad. I really am that broken. I really am that needy. And and when you can get to that place of humility, what will happen is a faithfulness will begin to surround the holes in your soul. A faithfulness will become the bottom of your bucket. And you'll become the person that you were always meant to become. And so in order to do that, you have to begin to have a relationship with truth unlike you've ever had before. That's what Paul is talking about. To live a life of integrity is to have a new relationship with truth. That truth is more important to you than ever before. And part of it is that you learn to practice the truth and that you learn not to abuse other people with the truth. Paul is always saying here, speak the truth in love. There are lots of us who speak the truth without love, and it's very harsh. And there's some who speak love without truth, and all that is is sentimental. Paul always says this balance of truth with love, and so you have to have a relationship with the truth. And I want to tell you three things about the truth that I'd like you to say I want to make this a heart commitment. The first is, and and, and this seems easy, but it's not. It's a lot deeper than, than it is on the surface. It says... Paul says in verses 14 and 15, you make a commitment that I'm never going to deceive people. I'm going to refuse to deceive people. And he says that we speak the truth and we speak it without cunning, we speak it without craftiness, We, we speak it without manipulating people, without trying to get an outcome that is only our outcome. It is amazing how much we use the truth to manipulate. And what Paul says is that when you're using cunning and you're being crafty and deceitful, you may not be outright lying, but you're manipulating the truth. Now, one of the reasons that people do that is because there is a secular definition of lying, and basically, you're you're only lying if you're conveying inaccurate statements. But that doesn't satisfy the biblical idea of truth. See, the way the Bible teaches, and even philosophy is catching up with this in our day, but the way the Bible portrays truth is that every single word you ever speak is an action. Some people say, well, it's just words. No, those words are your action. They're your deeds. When you speak something, you have spoken it, and it has meaning, and it has value. And the Bible says when you speak it, it becomes a promise. So when your yes is spoken, then Jesus says, let your yes the yes. And when your no is spoken, let your no be no. Because you're not judged on the nuances of that. You're, you, rather, the integrity of it is, is this a yes or a maybe or a no, or is it a yes? And if it's a no, is it a no, or is it a maybe, or is it a yes? You, can't, you cannot measure someone's faithfulness who has a bunch of maybes. Or who says my words don't really matter, or they don't have any meaning? You can't hold me to my words. The Bible says, really, lying is when you use an untruthful word to deliberately hide reality from your listener. So you know, in a way, the word what you've said doesn't seem like an outright lie, but you've hidden, you've hidden your own heart, you've hidden your motives, you've hidden, you've hidden what you're planning to do. You're You're trying to manipulate to an outcome. And the Bible says you're deceiving when you do that, and it's wrong, and it will not fill the cup, it will empty the cup. Well, what are some of the issues? Well, one of the lists that I watched or listened to talked about polite lies. Now, I'm sure none of you do this, but I've certainly done this, where I say to someone, someone says, can you come and do this? And you say, oh, no, I'll be out of town. I'd love to do this, but I'll be out of town. I don't tell them you know, I'm gonna be in Manuette or you know you know, you just you don't wanna hurt their feelings, you don't want them to think badly of you, but you don't wanna go. So instead of saying no, you say, Oh, I'd love to go and you really mean I'd love not to go, kind of a thing. Euphem- euphemisms is an interesting. Now I'm not saying that all of you are skilled at this, but I grew up in the South and this is our language charm. And so you, you, you know, you, you smile, you say things to people, and then you really say it in the parking lot, or you say it on the phone, or whatever it is, but you use all kinds of, you know, they'll say things, I grew up with things when someone doesn't like, isn't she sweet, bless her heart, you know, or, uh, yeah, she's not very pretty, but she has a nice personality kind of a thing, you know, and you know, and as, you know, you, you, I remember one time someone saying, you, "You are certainly not as ugly as you were when you had your braces on," you know, or <laughs> something like that. You know, just as you know, they're going, just getting beat up left and right, but they think they're saying it in a nice way. You know, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing when you live in a culture that lies as a default setting. Some exaggeration. I don't know if any of you practice this, but I do. I grew up in a family. Where, you know, today I have a cold, I have a raspy voice, all that kind of stuff, but I want you to understand, I'm dying up here, I'm dying, you know, I don't have a cold or anything, I'm I'm dying, oh God, because this is the only way I could get my mother to even, you know, pay any attention, you know, I'd have a cold, she'd go to school, I don't want you at home, go to school, you don't have a fever, oh sure, I have no, you don't have a thermometer, go to school, you know, kind of a thing, and you know, so I had to go, oh, mom, I'm dying. I'm dying, mom. You know, it's like exaggeration. But it's not just when you're a kid, it really comes out exaggeration in marriage. Married people don't say to one another, you know, sometimes you do this and it irritates me. You go, you always do this and it's terrible. It's awful. You never do this. And so the argument becomes on the always and the never, not the substance. Because right. you're not dealing with the truth. Anybody feel convicted? So there's an issue of integrity, right? See, you want fullness, but you may not want to pay the price to be full. Because the Bible says integrity is about faithfulness, which is about a relationship with the truth where you have really, really gone after the hard issues all the way to the the bottom i really believe this and i know this is this is hard for me to say to you but many of you really don't want to be healed you want to stay in your lives because you're used to them and because you you know them and you practice them but then you also want to complain that you're not happy you want to complain that you don't have joy You want to complain that your marriage isn't good or your work isn't good. Let me tell you something. If you have a bad relationship with the truth, then you have a bad relationship with faithfulness. And if you have a bad relationship with faithfulness, you're not experiencing the pleasure of God. It is impossible. It is impossible to live and have a close connection with God without faith. You have to believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that expresses itself in faithfulness. When you have to lie, you're saying, God cannot save me. When you have to deceive and manipulate, you're saying, God cannot lead me. And so you you excuse a lack of integrity, but then you complain about a lack of fullness. I've never been able to argue anyone into healing. It's why many of us go into some pretty serious tribulation until we come to understand how much we need integrity. I know this isn't fun, but I'm I'm saying to you, if you'll you'll follow and open your heart to me and to what the Spirit is saying today, you can have the fullest 2018 that you've ever had because He longs to give integrity to your bucket. Well... If I haven't lost you yet, I'll keep going. The second relationship to the truth is that in, in verse 25 that we read, Paul says you've got to be a person who both makes and who keeps promises. I want you to understand something. You are not an accident. You're not the highest form of evolution. You are an image bearer of the of the majestic, beautiful, glorious, holy, great God. Amen. You, you're, not, you're not just some animal who has higher instincts. You are made in the image of God. Yes, there's marring of that image. Yes, there's places that have been corrupted. But you still, friend, you are God's image bearer and god makes covenants he makes promises and when he makes them he fulfills them and he has made you in his image to make promises and to fulfill those promises yeah. so what is it in our day that we're so afraid of making promises i think it's because we we really value personal freedom over integrity that we would rather not have our options limited. Think about, <laughs> I'm old, so I can think 50 years ago. 50 years ago, people didn't just move in together. They married. They married one another. They made commitments. Now, sometimes they married the wrong people. And sometimes they married for the wrong reasons. But they would made those commitments Fifty years ago, nobody shopped churches. They joined a church. They said, for good or ill, this is my church. And they made commitments. But everybody today is afraid. Now, I'm not saying those two are equal. I'm just saying there are things that have changed because people are like, I need my personal freedom. I need to be able to do this and do that. Don't limit me. Don't don't hem me in. I want you to understand what the Bible is saying about commitments, what it's saying about making and keeping promises is you are most godlike when you do that, because he is a covenant God, and he 's a covenant keeping god you are you are most noble as a person when you make a promise and you keep that promise let me one of the philosophers theologians that 's influenced me since I was in college is a man by the name of Louis Lewis Smeads, and this quote comes from a book that he wrote called Mere Mere Morality. And he's envisioning probably marriage, but he's also just envisioning the fact of relationship and connection to one another. And he says this, When I make a promise, I testify that I was not rooted along some unalterable itinerary by the psychic conditioning visited on me by my slightly wacky parents. When I make a promise, I declare that my future with people who depend on me is not predetermined by the mixed-up culture of my tender years. When I make a promise to anyone, I rise above all the conditioning that limits me. Only a person can make a promise. And when he does, he is most free. You understand, I, I love my dog, but my dog doesn't promise me anything. My computer is not loyal to me. You understand? Only a person... Now, if you haven't shut down and you're listening to me right now, you should be in your chair standing up a little bit bigger, a little taller. Because what you have just heard is, one, you're no accident. Your suffering in your life is not random. It has purpose. And when you make commitments and you make promises, you are being the most like the image bearer of God than in any other time in your life. And when you make a decision, you are rising above, and you say, I'm going to fulfill this decision. You're saying, it doesn't matter to me what my past or my conditioning was or whatever. I make these choices. My heart values this. You become more of a person than ever before. Well, does that make sense to you? A big part of this, and it's the way of dealing with truth, is to realize the word integrity is the same word we use for integer or a whole number. So integrity is literally the idea of wholeness. And so the purpose of God in bringing to us here at the 1st of 2018 is that you might become whole. Now that, that passage where, where Jesus teaches about being a hypocrite he says it this way. He says, which of you sees the speck in someone else's eye and wants to take that out, but does not see the beam in your own eye? And the beam, it's so, so powerful because it's hard to translate. Some call it beam, plank, uh, other things like that. But the, the literal word is the beam that holds your house together. So in other words, he says, you can see the speck or the irritant in somebody else's eye, but you're not catching that what you've based your life on is not holding your house up. And so what he wants to do is become first the beam of the house, the ultimate of your life, the treasure of your life, the ultimate reality of your life. And so what does Jesus do with that beam that you don't even want to look at? He takes it, and he nails his hands to it, and he nails his feet to it. He takes the beam, and he dies on it. Nobody else can do that for you. Nobody else, seeing that beam, would say, I want to take that for you. So when I'm talking about integrity, I'm not talking about you becoming more moral. I'm not talking about you adding other charities to your list. I'm really talking about you becoming honest and taking off the mask. And to realize that you're safe with the one who knows you all the way to the bottom, but took the beam that held up your life and that limited and did not have integrity and took that beam so that he could die on that beam for you. Can you receive that today? Well, this table is the picture of the beam. This is Jesus taking the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. See, I, I always believe that there are two elements because there's two things you really wrestle with and that's guilt and shame. And I, I think when he says, I, this is my body broken for you, he's saying, I'm taking your shame. I'm taking what's wrong with you. I'm taking the beam and I'm, I'm bearing it in my own body. And Hebrews 2 says that, the day, that having received Jesus as your Savior, the day comes when you are presented before the very throne of God and your big brother Jesus is going to say, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother. He took that shame and he's not ashamed of you. But the second thing is guilt. And Jesus said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, I, I know you can go to therapy and, and get help. You can, you can read good books and get help, but none of them can take your guilt away. And none of them can take your shame away. But the one man who was of full integrity can take your guilt and take your shame And he buried it in death, and he blew a hole in death, and he came out the other side, risen, now ascended, now glorified, now calling to you. Can you receive that today? This is his table. It's not just Risen King's table. It's the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I invite you to receive both of the elements. We're going to pass them out to you today. I want you to hold on to them until we all have received. We're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to have the bread and you're going to have the cup in your hand. I'm, I'm particularly excited because this is gluten-free. We are so cutting-edge, man. And this is juice, so it's not, you know, don't make anyone stumble. So, everybody is welcome to this table who loves Jesus, Everybody who is seeking after Jesus, go ahead and receive and just hold on to it while uh, everyone is receiving the elements. And Gabe's going to lead us in a little singing.
2: while I'm waiting while oh, I'm not waiting I know heaven lives in me Should I suffer long Well, this is not my home I know heaven and walls can't hold me I will sing like I am free listen oh, no you love
0: that the sacrifice of Jesus shows how much he wants to fill this bucket for you. He doesn't want you living in a mediocre joy. He doesn't want you living in just a little bit of love or just a little bit of of peace, but that he wants the fullness for you. I guess the question is, do you want that? Are you willing to be that, that person who begins to really open up the heart and allow him to look in deep places, even if it means that it's painful or if it's difficult. On, on the one hand, it takes a great deal of humility to have integrity. On the other hand, it also takes a great deal of confidence to have integrity because you can't just, you know, you know live, woe is me, a sinner. You have to begin to also live in this place where you say, But G- I am a child of God, I am chosen of God. I am called of God. I am beloved of God. You begin to live in the confidence that both your humility and your confidence makes you a person of integrity, makes you a person that can sustain the fullness of the joy and the peace and the love of Christ. Will you stand with me as we close? I want to pray over the elements before you take them. And pray for you as well. Lord, uh, You took our guilt. You took our shame. There's forgiveness. There's restoration. There's a new name. There's a new character. There's a new heart that you've given to us. And you knew that we needed to taste something. That we needed to touch something. We needed to see something. And so you said, this bread, this is my body broken for you. And you said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. You're a a God who makes promises. A new covenant in your blood. It it was costly for you for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, I'm asking as we take this together, there would be transformation in our hearts. That we would not be those same lackadaisical people, that we'd go back to the default setting of image management, mask wearing, but that we would, we would live, as Gabe has been singing, we would live with heaven already in our hearts, singing like we're there, singing even like today, like there's no sickness in their body and there's no prison that could hold us um, because of who you are in our lives. I see, Lord, you defeating the twin enemies, guilt and shame, but also giving us the twin victory of humility and confidence. We receive that by faith now in Jesus name. Amen. Eat together and drink. Would you receive a commitment from you know the word of the Lord, the Holy Spirit's work that you are being called to be a woman or a man of integrity. And that your heart, God, is revealing not to embarrass you, but to heal you. And to give you that capacity to receive all of His joy, all of His peace, and all of His love. I believe that if you'll do that, I sense the Lord prophesying over you, your family, that this is a year of fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you hug a few people on your way out today and share that love with them?